we see in this 139th Psalm, the God who sees. He sees all because He is with us at all times and all places. Hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I made my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. How blessed are you, our Lord and God. You have spoken to your people in times past, and your people have been guided through all kinds of wildernesses, And you have supported your people in all kinds of exiles and tribulations and difficulties. So speak to us today in the midst of our own unique difficulties. Speak to us today through your word. And give us a sense of your control and your direction. Speak to us, Lord, we pray through your gospel. Transform us by your grace. Renew our faith and hope in you. 
For in your hands is our future. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. There's a children's book about the presence of God and it is entitled, God is with me. So imagine for a moment that you have a little one on your lap and you read to that little one these words. My God always sees me. He sees me when I sit down and when I stand up. He sees me when I go outside. And God sees me when I go to bed. God is too wonderful for me to see him now, but he sees me. My God is always with me. If I go up, he's with me. If I go down, he is with me. If I wake up quietly before everyone else, even then, my God is with me. If I swim to the bottom of the sea, God is with me. When it is so dark that I cannot see, God can see, and he is with me. God made me wonderfully, and he loves me. Tomorrow when I wake up, God will be with me. Those words, of course, are a paraphrase of the 139th Psalm. And and when we read those kinds of words to a little one, uh, we love it when they look up at us with wide eyes amazement and they say, oh, wow, God is so big and God is so good. And this psalm should impact us in the very same way too. Our problem, as we have been saying repeatedly over the weeks, is that our God is too small. And when our God is too small, our problems seem so big. And they seem utterly insurmountable to us. But over and against that, David is saying that God's presence and God's knowledge and God's power are unlimited. We are always in God's presence. We can cut ourselves off from others, but we can't cut ourselves off from God. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence, David asks. And there are no limits to God's knowledge of us, too. I, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. I can hide my thoughts, I can hide my desires, I can hide my goals and ambitions and plans from others. But I can't hide anything from God. And there's no limit to God's power and wisdom working on our behalf too. I mean, look at the amazing complexity of the body God has given to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has suited you for a unique purpose. Even before your mother was pregnant with you, in some mysterious way, God wrote the days of your life in his book of providence. I mean, do you see how living becomes an awesome business when we realize these kinds of things? On the one hand... We can feel suffocated by this. We can feel threatened by this knowledge. We can try to suppress this knowledge of God. But on the other hand, this knowledge of God should be precious to you. It means that God is committed to you. It means that God has fitted you for a unique and wonderful purpose. He's attentive to your needs. He wants the best for you. 
And that assurance should lift your spirit up in hope. And there are three truths here about God's abiding presence that lift us up in this hope. And the first is God's presence is an inescapable fact. God's presence is an inescapable fact. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. God is inescapably present. At first, David seems, I don't know, kind of ambivalent about this fact, even suffocated by it. But as he works it through, as he works it through, he gains great comfort and hope from it. Now, this fact of God's inescapable presence tells us that we are, we're never in the grip of blind forces. Never. We are such as chance or luck or fate, and this truth gives us courage. Our enemies are mightier than us, but, but our God is mightier than all. And he's committed to us. God's inescapable presence is Hard for us to get our minds around. We are finite beings. We are limited by time and space. Sometimes we, we complain about it. We say, I can't be two places at the same time. But God isn't limited like that. As Paul preached to the Athenians, he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And, and notice how David in these first three stanzas of this psalm works this out. First, God sees. That's what David says in verses 1 through 6. We call this God's omniscience. He knows our lying down and our rising up. All the activities of our waking and sleeping hours. He knows. He even knows the unexpressed thoughts of our mind. And God dwells. David says that in verses 7 through 12. This is God's omnipresence. There's no place I can hide from him. There is no time or condition when I can shut him out of my life. Verse 7 says that this is because God is spirit. God's spirit is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's always. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, something important that we see in verses 1 through 12 is that, bear with me here, God's omnipresence works hand in hand with God's, om, or God's omniscience works omnipresence with God's omnipresence. In other words, God knows all things in part because God is present in all places. But there's a third thing that David says, and that is God forms. He says this in verses 13 through 16. This is God's omnipotence. Even the womb is, is accessible to God. But it's not simply because God is some sort of x-ray, because you see, God has, or for, he has foreordained what shall be. Isn't this remarkable? Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And here is something else that's important. Just as we see that God's omniscience works hand in hand with God's omnipresence, God knows all things in part because God is everywhere in all places, we can also say that God's omniscience works hand-in-hand hand with God's omnipotence. God also knows all things because God has complete control over all things. Otherwise, God would have to wait and see what happens before he would know. 
But God is in control of all things. There is nothing outside of God's control. In some mysterious way, without being the author of evil and without forcing the wills of his creatures, God is in absolute control. As Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, all things come to pass according to his will. God knows all things because God's in control of all things, whether good or bad. His control is total. And I'll just say, by the way, this is why both the early Christians and the ancient Jews always said that abortion and active euthanasia are wrong. And why is it? It's because you're putting yourself in the place of God. God is in charge of your life. Now, that's not about political platforms. This is about the doctrine of God. But but doesn't this inescapable fact of God's omniscience and, and his omnipresence and his omnipotence rebuke the wrong things that we, the wrong ideas, these thoughts that we have about ourselves? Does he not see my ways and number my steps, Job declared. God has not abandoned us any more than he abandoned suffering Job. God never abandons anyone on whom he has set his love, nor does Christ, the good shepherd, ever lose track of any of his sheep. And it is false and it is irreverent to accuse God of forgetting or overlooking or losing interest in the states and the needs of those who belong to him. And brothers and sisters, if we are doing that, and I understand that kind of thing, but if we are doing that, we need to learn to repent because you see our unbelieving pessimism deeply dishonors our great God and Savior. But a second truth we see here is about God's presence is God's presence is a radical threat. I think there's, a, there's an urge to escape that runs through verses 7 through 12. And this is because ever since the fall of the human race into sin, you and I have had a problem with the presence of God. We have a big problem with it. We find this truth of God's inescapable presence unsettling, to say the least. I mean, it's kind of like a disobedient child gleefully running away from a parent. And notice what David says. David could have said, what shall separate me from your spirit? Or David could have said, who shall separate me from your presence? But he doesn't say that. He doesn't talk about something or someone separating him from God. Instead, he talks about a personal desire to set himself apart from God. He talks about fleeing from God. He talks about taking wings. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence, he says in verse seven. And listen to verse five. You hem me in behind and before. This Hebrew word to hem can be translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as to tie up, to clasp, to post sentries around, to enclose. And that is what David is feeling here. He's feeling kind of suffocated by God's presence and God's superintending purpose. And those of us who don't know God can find this reality in absolute loathsome horror. Now, M. Scott Peck is not someone we hear a great deal about any longer, but 
Back in the 90s, his books were everywhere. Uh, Peck was a psychiatrist, and probably his best-known book is The Road Less Traveled. I'm sure many of us have heard of that or maybe even read it, but Peck also wrote this book, not as well known. It was called People of the Lie. And in that particular book, Peck told the story of a woman he referred to as Charlene. That wasn't her real name, of course. He kept her real name from us, but, but Charlene came to him saying that she didn't know what to live for. Well, Peck remembered from her initial interview with him that she'd been an active member of a church once, even been a Sunday school teacher, so he asked her what her Christianity said about the meaning of her life, and she She just kind of looked at him with eyes narrowed and she said, I am not a Christian anymore. Well, so Peck countered and he said, but couldn't your Christianity tell you anything about the meaning of life? And this time she looked at him and rolled her eyes and mouthed in a kind of a monotone voice, we exist for the glory of God. And she said it in this resentful way, so Peck said, okay, well, does that help you at all? But this time she exploded, and she yelled at him, I cannot do that. There's no room for me in that. That would be my death. I do not want to live for God. I will not live for God. I want to live for me. I want to live for myself. And you see, Charlene's anger stemmed from this resentment she had that she could not flee from the presence of God. You can't. God is present. God knows. God has control whether we want him to or not. And I think we can make two quick applications. First, God is present in judgment. He's present in judgment. We need to face this truth and how it's impossible to run from God's judgment just as it is impossible to hide from God's presence. I mean, since the sin of Adam, people have been trying to escape the presence of God. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see? Do I not fill heaven and earth, the Lord declared through the prophet Jeremiah. There is no such thing, my friends, as secret sin. Every sin comes under the immediate scrutiny of an omnipresent God. Not even the privacy of your own mind is private to God. The Bible says that on the day of judgment, God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. Our our sin cannot escape God's notice. And isn't there a sense in which every sin that we do or say or think is really a denial on our part that God is present? I mean, there are things that we have done that we regret, I have no doubt, but maybe we wouldn't have done them if we thought that Jesus Christ was standing right next to us. Well, there was a, there's a sense in which he was. All our sins have been done in the plain sight of the Lord. God is present in judgment. How do you deal with that? Many, as we've said, try to suppress this knowledge into nothingness. That's a fool's errand because you can't run from God. 
Revelation chapter 6 says that in the day of Christ's return, all the great and the small ones who lived their lives trying to do that, suppressing God, they will call out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath is coming. Who can stand? But here's what I want you to notice about David. This is very important. Do you see that David doesn't respond to God's presence like that? Instead, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. David is comforted by God's presence instead of threatened by it. And that's, that's countercultural. What is it that makes the difference? It's because you see God is present in grace. Here's something that we need to think about, David says. I hate those who hate you, but here's what Jesus said. Jesus preached, I say to you, love your enemies. And then Jesus went out and he died on a cross. And as he did so, he died praying for his enemies. Now, now why the difference between David and Jesus at this point? On the one hand, David says he can't get away from God's presence and that God's hand will lead him and hold him and that God will make his darkness turn into light. But on the other hand, Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, it's as, if, it's, it's as if God lets go of Jesus' hand. It's as if God plunges Jesus into the darkness. God knitted David's body together in his mother's womb, but God permitted Jesus' body to be pierced and, and torn on the cross. He permitted Jesus' spirit to be plunged into the darkness. And why was that? It's because Jesus was getting what we deserve. We try to get away from God. We want to live our own lives apart from God. We try to escape the inescapable presence of God. That's what sin always involves. And what's God's penalty for it? It's to get what we want. It's to be abandoned as we wanted. And Jesus was abandoned. Jesus lost the presence of God. Jesus got what we deserve. So that if we have Jesus, if we trust in him as our sin bearer judged in our place, if we have, then we have the presence of God no longer in judgment, no longer fearing his wrath. We have his presence in his grace and forgiveness and his love forever. He has us in his hand. He will never let us go. There's an old poem called The Hound of Heaven and it's about being pursued by God's presence and his grace and it goes like this. He's, <clears throat> the poet says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. In the, in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. And in the poem, the poet runs until he can't run anymore. He's too exhausted to run. And then he finds that standing beside him in the darkness is this stranger 
he had been fleeing from and taking flight from. And it's God himself. He's the hound of heaven. And God says, quote, Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. God is present in grace. God's grace has tracked him down. It's the greatest blessing possible when God in love pursues us relentlessly and tracks us down. Charlene's life was empty because God gave her up to what she wanted according to his justice. She tried to find meaning and satisfaction by fleeing from God. But true satisfaction is delight, is found in knowing the God of grace and forgiveness and new beginnings when he tracks us down in Jesus Christ. And then finally, God's presence is a transforming delight. David breaks out of his ambivalence toward God's inescapable presence. He's not threatened by it. Instead, God's presence is this transforming delight to him. You know, what is darkness? In the Psalms, darkness is is suffering, it's danger, it's the threat of death and fear. When you go into darkness, you feel lost. But what if you have a God you can't get rid of? You see, what if God is always there? What if God always has you by the hand and he won't let you go? What if for God your darkness is as light? And the reason it is as light is because he sees the glorious plans that he has for you and he has called you and he will bring you through. You see... That assurance is a transforming delight, isn't it? God's delight in us, that's what David expresses here. David moves from saying, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made to how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. He sees in his anatomy God's wisdom and God's power and God's superintending purpose for him. God has a power for him. God has called him. God has committed to him. And similarly, when we join God's wisdom and his power and his foreordaining purpose to the love of God that is ours freely through faith in Christ. Don't we say how precious to me are your thoughts, O God? You see, the eyes of God range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The scriptures say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The scriptures assure, even when wickedness besieges the people of God, they may trust that the Lord is with them and that he will make them more than conquerors. I mean, there are few places that could have been more distressing than a dungeon in Egypt during Pharaoh's time, and yet the scriptures say that the Lord was with Joseph, and in his time he exalted Joseph and raised him up. And then our delight in God. 
David closes by asking God to search him and see if there's any grievous way in him. What is this? But you see, what is this? It's, it's, it's the reverence. It's the joy. It's the delight in God that fills our hearts when we take to heart what God has done for us. You see, David's delight in God is one that is so great that he would be ashamed to do anything that would displease or grieve the Lord. Instead, he is happiest when he does what pleases the Lord. And that is how God's grace in Christ transforms us. I mean, once you understand the truth of God's inescapable presence, it becomes a transforming, but I will admit, somewhat convicting comfort. I say convicting because God is always with you. He sees what you are doing. You know, you should do that. You shouldn't do that. There's this convicting edge to God's inescapable presence, but in the end, it's a transforming delight and it's a comfort because no matter how dark it may get, and it can get really dark, no matter how dark it may get, he's there. He has you by the hand and he will not let you go Your darkness is as light to the Lord because he knows, he sees the glorious plans that he has for you. Nothing can thwart them. He will bring you through. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this truth that You are a God who sees. You are a God who sees because you're with us at all times and in all places. You're a God who sees and knows also we have seen because you're a God who is in complete control. You're not a God who has to wait and watch to know what choices we make. Father, this kind of knowledge can leave us feeling kind of hemmed in and suffocated because ever since our fall into sin, we have had a problem with your presence. But Father, for those of us who know your love and acceptance and forgiveness and presence through Christ, who got what we deserve. Lord, we deserve to be given up to our sin. And Jesus suffered for those who deserve that in order that we might have your presence with us always, in order that we might never fear your wrath and judgment, in order that we might be able to say with David, how precious are your thoughts toward me. If I would number them, they would be more than the grains of the sand. Father, I pray for any who are here today and feel as though they have been plunged into darkness. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would know your presence with them in Christ and they would be reassured that their darkness is light to you because you know and you see the glorious plans you have for them and you will most assuredly bring them through. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior.